this episode, we run down a bunch of newly announced Echo devices. We chat about how Roku has some pop-up ads and Microsoft is apparently making a foldable Android device. Plus, I'll review the Hubitat Smart Home Hub. This and more in this week's show. I'm Ryan from the Dad.io podcast, a show dedicated to dorky dads everywhere. Part of the Gonna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other dadalicious geeky shows at gonnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gonnageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. This is episode 305. I am Stephen John Drew, and I am pleased to say that Chris Farrell, the reigning champ of the GunnaGeek.com show, is here again this week. And I'm here to overly enunciate my words so no one can have any complaints about how I speak this evening. <sighs> Hashtag solidarity. <laughs> um, and we're pleased to say, <laughs> even though SP is not here this week, you can hear him laughing right now. Suncast is here. Suncast, welcome back. I, I, I think I'm going to start doing a uh, SP Suncast swear jar. You know, every, t- every time you confuse me for SP, that's going to be two bucks. Oh, please don't. Please don't. I make that mistake. And <laughs> let's not include the edit points where I always seem to write down SP's name, even though he he's not the one making the error. So see, I always miss say Suncast name because I say Suncast with a C instead of a K. You just can't subtitle my words properly <laughs> to know <laughs> because I'm going to overly enunciate. So you all know exactly what I am saying today. So please know when I say Suncast. It is probably with a C, not a K. Make sure you're not too monotone either. (laughs) I am sorry. I will not be monotone today. Well, if you're checking out this show for the first time this week, congratulations on continuing this far. First off, Oz. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Secondly, I hope that this episode lasts you two weeks because next week we're going to be away for Canadian Thanksgiving. That's right. Canadian Thanksgiving is in October, and I don't feel like recording next weekend, and I feel like enjoying the weekend uh, with my family, maybe. I might just watch old episodes of Star Trek DS9. We'll see. You feel like stuffing the bird? (laughs) That too, that too. (laughs) For Canadian Thanksgiving, do you actually have turkey and pumpkin pie and stuff, or is it like maple syrup and moose meat or something? I don't know. You know, the night... stereotypical enough? The nice thing about having it in October is you can actually have both. You can have both because the meese have already started to hibernate because meese hibernate. We all know that, right? Okay, fair. The meese have started to hibernate, (laughs) so it's easy pickings. And then you can have your turkey the American way. So you get both. Mark. Mark. Oh, wait. I didn't say that clearly. I didn't enunciate well enough. Someone's (laughs) going to get offended. Oh, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll be away next week. But if you want to check out other awesome geeky shows, there's still lots happening at Geeks.Live. We have lots of awesome content coming out all the time, as well as stuff that isn't stream live over on the Gunna Geek Network at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. By the way, before we get to the news, I want to mention this episode, I'm doing that long-awaited review of the Hubitat 
Smart Hub. So we'll have that at the last segment after the news. Let's go ahead and move on to the news. Should we do that, Suncast? Yes. See, I got your name right this time. Or snacks. I am so excited to do this new Suncast. This is one that is a couple weeks old, but I'm glad we waited, okay? I'm super glad that we waited because you were one of the first ones to message me about this first news point. It's Mm -hmm. all about the... By the way, mute your smart devices before we continue. Let's go ahead and make sure you've had that warning because we're going to say a certain word many, many times. Are you muted? You better be muted because we're about to say Alexa. That's right. This is all about the new Alexa devices. A couple weeks ago, Amazon did come out with their what seems to now be an annual release of a bunch of new smart devices. If you didn't know this, Alexa, which used to be just in a little desktop device, has long expanded. Yes, there's an app, but there is all sorts of other tech that now have Alexa built in. Including mm-hmm. things like microwaves. I think that was last year was the big, oh, there's a microwave. Why would you use that? But it's true. There is that now. And this year is no different because there is a whole bunch more Alexa devices. And so we wanted to run through, we being me, all of these different newly released device or announced devices and comment a little bit on them. So, Suncast, you did send this to us when this first came out. And I look forward to getting your reaction. Okay. So let's go ahead and just run through some of these. The first one that we want to talk about here is the Echo Studio. The Echo Studio is looks to be Amazon's version of, let's be honest, it looks like a HomePod. It's supposed to be like this speaker that <laughs> is, is rivaling Sonos, but it looks a lot like an Apple, pod, uh, uh, Apple Air or HomePod, whatever you call that. I think that it most definitely is uh, trying to be that and something that uh, we'll see how it goes because the HomePod, I don't think, has really taken off. The price on the Echo Studio is $199 and launches on November 7th. Any thoughts on that? Nope. It's the high-end Amazon device because they saw a niche there. Because remember, Google's got the Google Home Max. You've got the HomePods and they do sell some. Amazon realized, hey, we don't have something on the top end of the market. Let's compete. And that's what this is. The thing that's interesting about it, I guess, is that you can pair two of them together to have quasi surround sound if you pair it with the TV or something like that. But that's true. I don't think that replaces an actual home theater system in most people's setups. So, well, and I think we've seen that with the uh, what was it that they created the new Echo Plus and the Echo Dots. I think they do three. 3.1, don't they? And or something like that. They you did have to something. buy the subwoofer if you want to do that because there's an Amazon subwoofer that came out. That's right. And maybe it's 2.1. Anyways, their last idea of, of making a really like a surround type system didn't work out. So I won't be surprised if you're right on this. Nobody cares to do that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, exactly. It's a very niche product there, even more so than other stuff there. This is not yeah. designed to appeal to the regular consumer. It's designed to appeal to someone's like, I have to have the best quality music ever, even though I'm going to stream it from the regular Amazon music service versus paying the extra for the high bitrate one. So really, if you don't have high bitrate music, why do you need the better speaker? 
Fair enough. Riddle me this. Riddle me this. The next one that I want to talk about is the Echo Buds. The Echo Buds Buds are exactly like you would think. They are a Canadian product that is only sold legally within Canada. And Washington State and, well, yeah, and Colorado. <laughs> but you can't you can't actually import them into the US because that's federal law. That's true. <laughs> well, doesn't that depend on the state now? Because <laughs> I mean, technically you can cross into the Michigan from Canada. No, you can't because okay, because we actually <laughs> We we have warnings. We have warnings oh, no. when we go to travel. Wow. We actually have warnings when we go to travel that you can't because the fe- the border is is federally controlled. So it it's federally against the law to travel with your Echo Buds. But the Echo Buds that we're talking about are earbuds. They are earbuds, not the thing that Suncast is talking about right now. So this, <laughs> the earbuds they're really not a unique design. The the Earbuds are not really a unique design. There's nothing really unique about how they look, but they're obviously have the Alexa built right in. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that these are going to really take off. They're 129. I, I know there's something that you were a little bit interested in, though, Suncast. Uh, they're they're more interesting than some of the other products that they announced in this event. Uh, this was a very odd keynote or event or whatever it was that they did it was just odd like they were trying to be like apple ish but it just didn't kind of quite come off that way but at least they kept things moving i think when you look at the price 130 bucks uh how much were those tick bods that you spent when i got them as part of the uh indiegogo promo i think they were 70 or 80 but they're regularly 129 so and airpods are roughly the same price they're what 149 so they're in line with that so if someone's thinking about spending that sort of money on earbuds you might end up finding that these will uh be something they go with because it has alexa built right in and there are people who would actually have a use for that so it's supposed well, to be a total of 20 hour battery life is what it's supposed to be the real interesting thing with this is that, yes, you have hands-free Amazon voice services connectivity, so you can say the trigger word anywhere, it'll respond. But what they've also done is if you hold down, I think it was the right pod, you can trigger your digital assistant on your cell phone, so you can get to Siri or your Google Assistant, things like that. So while it's geared towards using Amazon voice services, they don't lock you out from using the other services you might have on your device which I thought was kind of a cool touch. Yeah, that's smart of them. And I think that uh, anybody who has used the built-in voice assistant with like a car or something, you know that you kind of get used to how that voice assistant works hands-free. The next one that I would want to talk about here really quickly is the... Oh, this is one that I think that we've we've had a lot of people asking for, and I don't know that we're going to have a lot of comments on it because it just seems like something that everybody can agree is like the greatest oh, yeah. thing ever. I don't think there's ever going to be mm-hmm. any debate on this, and it is the Echo Frames. Uh, the Echo Frames are something that are going to be $179. They're glasses, and they do have Alexa built right in. Now, you're saying to yourself, this is fantastic because they also probably have built-in cameras and built-in other things and you know uh you you're definitely going to be able to do all sorts of things that you would with previous smart glasses but they are they're just an assistant just an assistant but they're supposed to have though um a built-in way to to transmit the audio to you correct 
I think they use like bone conduction or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everybody's not supposedly hearing what it's saying, which is kind of, I think, the neatest aspect of this. Putting aside all of my sarcasm there as they introduce these, I think that is where these could really be useful because of the fact that it's going to use that bone conduction or whatever. But uh, $179, don't know that uh, a lot of people are going to be really wanting to do this, considering Listen. there's also the expense of getting your lenses put into them. Well, that's if you want lenses in there. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Now, see, I, I'm, I'm in the market for some new glasses. Amazon, if you're listening, I'll gladly take a pair. There you go. Chris Farrell, you're also a glasses wearer. Are you going to go ahead and get some of these? No, because I can't turn the Bluetooth off during the day and I'm not allowed to have Bluetooth on at work. So it's not possible for me to have them. That being said, it's interesting. It's cheaper than Google Glass was. It's, again, another weird way to put Amazon voice services out there. I don't think they're really anticipating the selling weirdest. boatloads of these. It is not the weirdest. <laughs> I still I still would say the big mouth Billy Bass that is Amazon voice services connected might be the weirdest, followed up by the microwave, then followed off by the analog clock. <laughs> Next one that they announced is the Echo Loop. Yes, they have indeed made a Hyperloop. Oh, nope, sorry. Mis- misread Wrong company. that. Wrong company. Uh, the Echo Loop is a ring. That's what it is. It's a ring built in or with Alexa built in. And yes, you're pretty much going to have to use an action button on it. You will hold the ring up to your mouth because the pickup is apparently not that great on it. So you'll essentially talk to your ring all the time. Just like this, like a Green Lantern. All of you who have been wanting to be the Green Lantern or, you know, a ring version of the Power Rangers. Here you go. This is this is your jewelry, your bling bling where you can talk to. I don't understand this one. <laughs> I, I don't really get this um, because it's $129. I don't know why people are going to want to get a ring of all things. Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against all of these devices. Some, some of them make sense. Some of them, like the ring, don't necessarily make nearly as much sense. So... I'm not I'm not poo-pooing on everything that Amazon has put out with this event, but the ring, this loop thing, that's that's one that kind of confuses me. But let's be honest, though, if you look at the page Stephen had, it said uh, price was by 129, but you could only get it by invite only. Some of these things is Amazon is uh, how do I put this best? Kind of doing what Think Geek used to do, which is throw out wild and crazy stuff. Specifically, they did around April Fool's Day. See what people re- respond to, and then potentially make it open to the wider customer base. I think it's fun if they sell a few of these rings and people have fun with it. It's a win for them. I, I can't imagine that they came out and thought, "Oh, we're going to sell thousands of these ring and glasses devices," because it's not exactly what people want. There's going to be a few people like, "Oh my God, this is really cool. I want to try it." I just don't see the long-term usage being there for it. But kudos to them for coming up with weird stuff and putting it out there because sometimes you have to come up with these weird, crazy things to then advance to some product we've never thought of before. Okay. Uh, I won't disagree, I guess. Uh, the next one that I actually do Thank think... You? The next one that I do think is, is a really smart move is another version of the Echo Dot. Yes, if you're thinking, I feel like we just got a revision of the Echo Dot. You're absolutely right, because there was the Echo Dot 
second gen. Then there was the Echo Dot third gen, which was basically like a Google Home Mini, let's be real. Uh, it looked a lot like a Mini. Well, there is a new Echo Dot, and I think this is, I don't know if they're billing it as fourth gen or a third gen, third like gen. a special third gen. It's What it is, is it's an Echo Dot third gen with, with clock. a clock built in. And I yeah. think that this actually looks really good and really smart. And the reason why I think this is good is because I have had Echo Dots placed in a variety of different places. And they're in a spot where you see the side of it. And I've actually talked about this before. It's one of the reasons I don't like the Google Home Minis because I can't see when it activates because generally I'm looking at the side of my Echo Dots and to throw a clock in it for not much more. I think it's only going to be like 10 bucks regular more than the regular Echo Dot third gen. I think it's really, really smart. Regular price is 59 US. And I, I think the regular price on the normal third gen is is like 49, isn't it? That was 39. Okay. Well, it's, I'm, I'm looking at the page now. It, it's not terribly more. And I think that some people it will actually be worthwhile to have that because especially if you got it next to your bed and whatnot and you you want a small little alarm clock or whatever. I think that that's cool. I think that it's a neat idea and they've put it through the fabric. As long as you can actually see it. That's the only question that I have is how visible is it going to be in the day? I haven't seen any actual versions of this in like full daylight conditions. That's the only concern I've got. I'd definitely be interested in one of these. I mean, I, I have my Echo Dot sitting right next to me and I have um, the, the test bar for Windows auto hide. So I don't always see what time it is unless I actually move my mouse down to bring up the test bar. So like having an actual clock here on my desk would be kind of nice. It's one of the things I really, really liked about getting the Echo Show 5 was the clock. I love having the clock on it. It's fantastic. Same here. What would be really, well, what is really nice I saw in there is it will also display like alarms and timers. So theoretically, if you were cooking something in the kitchen and you said set a timer for 15 minutes, instead of having to ask her how much time you have left, just look over at the device and it displays on there. I have the uh, Echo 5 in my kitchen specifically for that reason so that when I use a timer, I can just look at the device, not always have to ask. Yes, I know it's a total first world problem, but it's really annoying to be like, oh no, I don't know how much time is left on this. Let me ask her and find out when a simple glance could right. suffice. Fair enough. The next one that I want to talk about is the Echo Flex. The Echo Flex is a thing that hangs on your outlet and basically just hangs on your outlet. <laughs> it's, uh, it's got USB ports built in, a couple of buttons, and there's really not much to say. It's 25 bucks. It, it hangs on your power outlet. <laughs> Moving on to the one after that, the Echo Glow is also another one that we don't need to spend a lot of time on. <laughs> nope. But it's, it's an orb. It's, a, it's an Alexa orb. An Alexa <laughs> orb that glows. Wait, is that a Dragon Ball? It kind of looks like a Dragon Ball. Yes, it does. Uh, I don't know. There's different colors that can dance along to music. So there you go. You've got your dancing orb. I, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? Either of you? I don't care no. about it. No. This one here, I was actually really happy to see. The Echo Show 8. So they've been making tweaks to the Echo Show. It looked for a while like maybe the Echo Show line was dying, but then it came back with the Echo Show 5, and now they've done an 8, which is essentially the same features and concept and design as the Echo Show 5, but in an 8-inch version. I could actually see myself, for the right sale price, getting one of these in the future for my kitchen. I've said it before, the Echo Show 5, a little too small for that, but 
I think that that would actually be okay. Chris Farrell, you actually downsized your Echo Show. Does this intrigue well, you at all? Also, in part because my Gen 1 Echo had incredibly bad screen burn-in, and it was outside the warranty window, and screen burn-in really shouldn't happen. And I got frustrated and was like, well, the hell with this. As soon as I get rid of it, I will. So they did some ridiculous trade-in offer, and I traded in that to get an Echo Show 5 or whatever. It's fine. The speaker's not quite as good, and uh, it's not quite as good about picking up my voice as the original Echo Show was, but it does the job. I could see the Echo Show 5 as a better use for like a uh, alarm clock or something like that in a bedroom, assuming you put the privacy shutter on because I don't really want a camera in there, and then using the Echo Show 8 or the 11-inch version in a kitchen. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Another one that they announced, which is well overdue, is the Echo Generation 3. This is just the regular Echo. If you didn't know that, the Echo Regular was sort of the first one. There was the Echo, then there was the Echo Dot, which is the small one, and then the Echo Plus, which is the big one. The Echo Regular has left, has, has sat unmodified for a while now. They upped the Echo Plus last year, the year before, the, the regular Echo Never got an upgrade, and now you have it. So not really much to say there. It's supposed to just have better sound, and I believe it totally because my Echo Plus second gen far better than my Echo Plus first gen. This one here, Suncast, the Amazon Smart Oven. What do you think about this? There is a another kitchen gadget. This is... I don't know. It's not a microwave. What is it? Is it a toaster oven? Smart oven is what they're calling it. It looks like a microwave. It's an air fryer also, it said. So it's a combination. So it's a microwave air fryer convection oven combo, apparently. Essentially, uh, this year's version of the Alexa microwave. That's what it comes down to. For two I really want them to do an, uh, an Amazon smart house. <laughs> That'd be That'd awesome. Be cool. That'd be awesome. This will be 250 bucks American, and we look forward to having you come back on here, Suncast, to review it. If Amazon gives him one, he'll review it. I guarantee it. Yes. Absolutely. And also at the same keynote was a bunch of updates to other products, largely ring-based, but other Amazon-owned products. But those were the key Alexa upgrades that came out this year. And uh, I don't know. Uh, Aside from the couple that I mentioned, I don't really foresee myself getting the others. Maybe the microwave. The microwave. There you go. I'm still open to those frames. <laughs> Just send them to him. No, literally, I'm looking for new glasses right now. Uh, that'd be interesting for you to have that. Amazon, if you're watching, tweet at Suncast. That's S-U-N-K-A-S-T on Twitter. And he'll get you. He'll do those frames for you. Just send him a tweet saying, we've got some frames for you. He'll be happy yep. to demo them on this show and a variety of other ones, I'm sure, too. Well, moving on from that news point here, I think we covered that way too much. Uh, we are going to go from one intrusive thing, which is the Alexa being on top of your face, because let's be honest, that's very intrusive, to another intrusive thing. Chris Farrell, what's going on? So when you cut the cord, a lot of what you're trying to do is get away from ads to kind of better control how much money you're spending. And how a lot of people cut the cord, or rather, when you do cut the cord, you have to buy a streaming box or device of some kind. For a lot of folks, it's Roku devices, or they might actually buy the Roku TV. That is a television that has a Roku built into it. You see a lot more of them 
out and around now. They've been all over on Black Friday sales, different tailgate sales prior to the Super Bowl, stuff like that. They've become fairly prominent. Well, Cordcutter News has a report saying that Roku TVs have recently started showing interactive pop-up ads overlaid on related television commercials received over cable or antenna. An image posted by the publication showed a pop-up ad for Ghost Town that appeared during a Geico commercial. Please note Ghost Town is sponsored by Geico. The matching pop-up included a prompt for the viewer to set a reminder using the Roku remote. Cordcutter News says the pop-up will only display over ads that have partnered with Roku on this feature. Although they're best known for their streaming hardware, last year on an episode of The Verge Cast, Roku's CEO said he believed the company was in the ad business rather than the hardware business. Now, keep in mind, if you have a Roku now, you're probably used to seeing ads on the home screen for different Roku channels or services. The bulk of these ads have been on the home screen, but they're now extending these efforts to ad-supported TV broadcasts. Now, side note, if you have a DNS blocker in effect, you can pretty much block 99% of those ads on the Roku home screen. I do it right now via my router, so I don't get my ads on the home screen there you honestly get used to them. They're not really obtrusive. They're always on one place. They're not popping up on what you're watching. So how does Roku do this? How do they have the smarts to basically say, ah, I see this is a commercial for Ghost Town. I should give you a reminder. Well, they build on an existing automatic content recognition technology, which is used to offer the more ways to watch feature back from 2017. It was an opt-in feature that automatically senses what you're watching on broadcast TV and alerts you when it's available via streaming services. So the case there would be Sam watching a syndicated rerun of Big Bang Theory or something like that. I could push a button on my Roku remote and it would then say, hey, you can watch Big Bang Theory on these different uh, streaming apps, which is honestly a useful tool. But when you pair that with, I'm going to serve you ads via that tool, I'm kind of not inclined to want to use it. So you can opt out of pop-out ads, or pop-up ads rather, but you lose access to the more ways to watch feature. If you want to disable this, you do so by turning off the use information from TV inputs options within the privacy section of the settings menu. It's important to note, this is only on Roku TVs at this point in time. It is not on Roku boxes because the Roku box is not actually accepting a cable or antenna input. So it's less problematic for most people but it's a sign of the future that I'm kind of uncomfortable with because I don't need you supplementing the ads I'm already getting that I can't bypass via my antenna. Chris, we all know you watch Kate plus eight. <laughs> you got me. I just can't wait to see when that Kate gets a man, it's going to give her another eight children so she can have 16 children. And I just, I want to know what's going to happen. I tune in every week on, on the learning channel because I learn a lot on the learning channel now with all exactly. the trash TV they have that doesn't uh -huh. teach me anything, anything. You know, you're being a little bit sarcastic right now. And I, I feel what are you talking about. I love Kate plus eight. It's the best show on TV. I feel like it's my duty to report the findings <laughs> of, of our poll <laughs> that I've been running at geeks out live. Yes. If you haven't watched us live on Mondays at eight 45 PM Eastern, uh, you can come into geeks out live and watch us record. I asked the question, do you think this Roku pop-up is invasive? And the results are very, very surprising because 100% of our respondents said yes, they were indeed invasive. Are you shocked now, by that? 
I'm not at all. But in all <laughs> fairness, I didn't describe the extent of the pop-up. What I should say is it's not like it's a full screen thing or anything like that. The image they showed on Cord Cutter News, it was like a pop-up in like the bottom left-hand corner of the screen that gave a little blurb about it and said you can push this button to set a reminder. So it doesn't take over the entire screen, but it's very annoying and reminds you the fact of, oh, they're basically reading in everything I watch yeah, so they can better serve me ads in addition to the convenience of saying, here's the streaming services you can use this on. So what is the next step with this technology? What are they going to do with it? I, I don't know. I mean, I know Netflix knows what I watch. I know Hulu knows what I watch because I'm subscribed to them. But my Roku box doesn't. And my Roku TV arguably shouldn't need that. I guess they're going to use it to better serve me ads on the home screen that I'll continue to block that I never see. <laughs> Well, if you want to know Chris Farrell's browsing history, please email us to podcast at gunnageek.com because Chris Farrell says that he will disclose his entire browsing history to you. Dude, that's easy. It's it's reddit.com, it's twitter.com, and it's probably uh, news.google.com. That's about where I go for most of my content. That's fair enough. The rest isn't stored because it's incognito mode, if you know what I mean. The next news point that we've got here is one that I know Suncast is going to buy. What's up with over there in Microsoft land? Totally. So uh, this past <laughs> week, Microsoft had a big event in New York City where they made a number of announcements, including Windows 10X, which is going to be their operating system specifically for dual and foldable screened devices. And they also announced something called the Surface Neo, which is going to be their, their dual screen Surface book or Surface laptop or Surface tablet device. And then they also announced an Android phone. Yes, Microsoft is going to build and launch and sell an Android phone. Not only is it going to be an Android phone, it's going to be a foldable dual screen Android phone. It's called the Surface Duo. And we don't really know a whole lot about this other than, yes, it runs Android. It features a 360-degree hinge and offers a custom Microsoft experience layered on top of Android. It has two 5.6-inch screens that turns into an 8.3-inch device when unfolded. Unfolded, excuse me. And other than that, we don't really know anything else about this other than perhaps that is coming holiday 2020. But yes, Microsoft is releasing an Android phone. What do you guys think about this? I think there's two things that are really need to talk about here. Number one is the fact that Microsoft's building a foldable phone. And number two, how, sorry, number one, they're building a foldable phone that's using two screens rather than actually folding on the display. That's number one. Number two is the fact that they are finally doing Android. Chris Farrell, you start. Actually, what's more interesting is the Microsoft Courier dream lives to see another day. Because if you remember, probably four or five years ago, there was the rumored Courier device that was supposed to be a folding display, smartphone slash PC hybrid. Regardless, it's interesting to see Microsoft embrace the Android community. Now, we've seen some signs of that. Remember, they partnered with Samsung, I think it was with the S10, to have like a Microsoft edition, or it might have been the Note 9, I can't remember. But basically, a Microsoft edition that you could buy at the Microsoft store that came preloaded with Microsoft's productivity apps, the Microsoft launcher, things like that. They've been making an interesting play in having more apps and things like that on smart devices. Like you can get office apps on iOS, you can get them on Android. 
stuff like that. And Satya Nadella is moving Microsoft away from being a Windows software company to an internet company that has applications that can be accessed on any device. It's kind of moving towards Microsoft's goal there. I think it's cool. I think it's smart that they're not trying to do a foldable display because we've seen with the Note Fold how difficult that is. And honestly, it'll be interesting to see how they skin it because remember, they're putting out a laptop-like device that is very similar in appearance that is two displays that fold together, have a 360-degree hinge on it. This is a supplement to that, a matching product, whereas that will run Windows 10X, I believe is what it's called. This will run full-blown Android. And supposedly, Microsoft has been working with Google slash Android in regards to how to handle dual screen devices, because that is some of the stuff that was touted in the recent Android 10 updates and presumably for Android 11 is better support for dual screen devices. So I think it's a win for everyone. I think it's an interesting tech project for Microsoft. Do I think they're going to go out and sell millions of these folding phones? No. Do I think they're going to have an interesting product out there that have people going, that's kind of cool. I want to check out check it out and get positive buzz. Yes. I don't really see Microsoft turning into a full-blown Android headset, excuse me, handset manufacturer and putting out like six phones a year. I think they're going to put out a cool, excuse me, a couple cool things to them to see what piques customer interest. I pretty much agree with you. Uh, I think that there's a lot that's really, really interesting about the fact that they are doing all of this. Uh, One thing that I will say is that I don't think that they should do a custom theme. I get why they want to. I personally am not a fan of custom themes on Android because if Samsung hasn't been able to do it right, nobody can do it right. Because look at look at Samsung's big big market share, and it's still like it is still in many ways sluggish compared to stock Android. They've already done it. It's just an option for people. And again, this is holiday 2020. We don't know when it's actually coming out. I doubt they're going to lock it down so that that's the only launcher you can put on there because Samsung doesn't even do that. So we can put like, oh crap, what's the name of that launcher I use? used to use? Nova Launcher. Nova Launcher. So we could put Nova Launcher on there or something like that. So I would not be shocked if it is easily able to put another launcher on there. But why they would probably put their own on there is from the screenshots they showed, it had a very similar appearance to their folding laptop to make things look the same and relatively continuous between products. Microsoft already has a launcher for Android, so this isn't really anything out of the realm for them. It's the fact that everybody has been kind of clamoring in a way to see Microsoft kind of get back into the handset game. And and they were always wondering, okay, well, if they're going to do it, where are they going to do it with Android? And here they are finally doing a handset that runs Android. Well, we'll see what happens here. Like Chris said, it's a while off still, and uh, hopefully they can they can make it work. No matter what they do, I'd like to see them make this work because I'm tired of I'm tired of hearing of these failing folding display stories. I'm I I think that two displays is almost as good as a folding display. But you want to know where this gets more interesting though? Project X Cloud coming to Xbox, which is supposed to allow game streaming and things on it for Android, iOS, and PC devices. Microsoft makes their own foldable phone device out there. It's going to work nicely with that and look for them to make some kind of concessions for how those dual screens would work to support X Cloud. Yeah, I, I think it's rather interesting if you think about it, that that their first real launch of a handset with Android is going to be a dual screen device and not just a single screen handset. Go big or go home, right? 
I mean, they're swinging for the fences with putting something out there that's unique. Yes, there are other devices. LG just put out a dual screen device. The Bile accounts is not very polished from what I've heard. It's kind of clunky. And we do know that Samsung's got the Galaxy Fold coming, which has its own issues. And Huawei also has a foldable phone. But remember, they probably won't be able to release Android phones in the United States after this phone because they're not allowed to have Android as per current trade restrictions. So the foldable phone market is open. Microsoft's got a different approach towards it. And competition is good. Again, do I think it's going to take off and be the greatest thing ever? Probably not, because I think folding phones are a gimmick and there's not, excuse me, there's not many people that are really going to have a great use for it other than being, ha ha, this is cool. But when you have to work with it on a daily basis, probably a bit more problematic than just the regular phone you can slip in your pocket easily. Right. And I did post a poll at geeks.live and I asked if people will buy foldable smart devices. And we had 60% say yes within five years, 20% say no. And 20% said I already own a non-smart flip phone. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> lots, lots of representation there. And lastly, in our extra extra here, I uh, just wanted to acknowledge the fact that there's a new Picard trailer out. You should definitely go watch that. We're not going to get into all of the nitty gritty about it because that would be a whole segment in itself. But yes, there is a new Picard trailer out. And uh, I want to... There's a nude Picard trailer? Whoa. There is a nude Picard trailer out. You're right. And there's also a clean version of it as well, (laughs) which you should definitely check out because uh, I've watched several people say that they might actually buy CBS All Access to watch this. So that's, uh, that's pretty powerful in itself. But let's go ahead and move on to the featured segment. Here we go. All right, Chris Farrell, I know you've been waiting for this one for a little bit. You and I are sort of, uh, SP's joined us, I I shouldn't exclude, but we're the ones that started in the smart home side of things here on the guineageek.com show, and SP's been nicely catching up, I think, as well. But uh, we've talked a little bit about this product before, and it is a Hubitat. Yes, I have been dabbling for a while since Chris Farrell got me hooked on smart home devices, and One of the ways that I built my smart home infrastructure was around the Wink hub system. And I've mentioned this before on the show. Wink has been leaving a lot to be desired in the in the recent year. There's been a lot of reliability problems, a lot of outages and a lot of lag as you try to use it. So for all intents and purposes, it's really not a great product, in my opinion, anymore. And because I built my whole system around a hub, I've been looking at some alternative ways to to hub all of these devices, a new brain for my system, so to speak. And one of the ones that came up when I was looking at different options was one called Hubitat Elevation. You see what they did there? Hubitat mm. Elevation. Isn't that funny, I Chris? S- I see. I see what they did there. It's a pun, which is, of course, the highest form of comedy, I'm told. <laughs> so it's called a Hubitat Elevation. And one of the reasons why this one here really piqued my interest was the fact because they are, pride themselves on making it locally based. If you look a lot of the other smart hubs that are out there, they do rely heavily on a cloud or a online service. 
for example, you go out to your app, you send a command that goes to the cloud, and then that comes back down to the hub. With Hubitat, they really bill it as being locally controlled. So you're all staying local. If you have an internet outage, it's not a problem. If they have a service outage, because there's not a single company in the world that has never had a service outage, you still go. You're still good with the Hubitat. Now, one of the things that is also really interesting about this idea is the fact that the app itself is also set to be locally controlled. So you're you're not doing that thing where the app is talking up to the this cloud and then coming back down. So that that's also a localized service of the Hubitat. Before I actually get into the key part of the review, I do want to disclose right now the Hubitat was sent for me for review. And I think you'll see that I am going to be very transparent in my review as I go through this. And I will keep it honest. And again, I think you will see that as I go through this. But before we get to that, the Hubitat itself, it has two radios in it, a Z-Wave radio and a Zigbee radio. That is the key part of the hub. Some of these other hubs that are out there have other radios built in. The Hubitat is really focused on just keeping those two radios. Chris Farrell, I know that your system doesn't use Bluetooth or anything like that either, does it? It's just it's just Zigbee and Z-Wave. I think it's Zigbee and Z-Wave, but it has the potential to Bluetooth, or I could be confusing it with the SmartThings hub that I'm still waiting to transition everything over to. Yeah, so overall, the Hubitat it, or has focused on these two, plus some other connecting abilities like you see with other, other hubs out there. Let's talk briefly about the setup process. Over the years, I've set up a few different smart products and a couple different hubs. And quite honestly, this was in line with those. Basic concept is there. You hit a website. The website helps walk you through the setup. You go through, you give it information like a password, and you go through the initial setup. It's all pretty straightforward there for the actual hub process. Now, where Hubitat was different to me was that I actually had to use a specific website admin that is clearly made for a website admin. There was not an app option. You had to go through and actually use the web admin. A lot of them will offer the possibility of a desktop setup, but the Hubitat, you had to use the desktop setup. Now, I want to note this in one specific reason is the fact that honestly, the setup website isn't that mobile friendly. So if you are trying to do this, from a device, a, a smart device, you might find that it's not the easiest to navigate because it really is meant for a desktop control. So maybe try to get your laptop out if you don't use it very often or a desktop computer because it really was meant for that. Now, the initial landing and the initial setup of the hub was very much in line with a lot of the other things that I have set up with smart devices before. Now, one thing I do want to note about the way that this is set up is the web admin is something that you're actually hitting the IP address directly. But if you're not sure what IP address is taken once you've plugged it in, there is a actual cloud-based essentially web app that you go to. So you go to their website and then within there, there's like a find hubs. And then uh, because it's a web app, it just goes and searches your network and finds you and then redirects you over. So it works pretty well there. Now, in a moment, I'm going to talk about my full pros and cons list of the Hubitat. But before I get there, I want to actually talk briefly about a bit of a con or something that you're going to hear me mention quite regularly through this review. And it's the fact that overall, the interface that you see on the Hubitat is not user friendly. There's 
a certain aspect of it that's familiar if you're technical, but for an average Joe or an average Jane, it's not the most user-friendly. And I want to mention this right now because although the initial hub setup was straightforward, the actual setup of the individual devices left a lot of questions in my mind as I went through it. Because traditionally, a lot of these hubs, they walk you through. If you go to a pair of light bulb, it walks you through. It gives you individual steps of how to do that. It's sort of a guide to get you to get into the programming mode so you know as you go through, you're doing the right thing. Hubitat, not so much. There's a simple button that says discover Zigbee and Z-Wave devices. You push that and it's up to you to put the other ones in learning mode. So if you don't know how to do that, you kind of got to Google a little bit. How do I put these into learning mode? As opposed to some of the other ones that I've had where they do walk you through straightforward. Uh, this is how you reset your bulb or whatever. So it's definitely something that I think is worth mentioning because in the setup process, that left me wondering as I went through, am I missing a step? Is there something else I'm supposed to do here? Luckily, I knew how to set them up, uh, but it definitely left me wondering for a minute there the first time, have I done this right? Second time, because I've already had the experience, I, I felt a little more comfortable, but it was something that left me scratching my head the first time. Now, through my time only owning the Hubitat, I've had both Zigbee and Z-Wave devices on there, and I've never had an issue pairing them. So it did work, but I just had to sort of Crossed my fingers that it was working until it actually went through and showed up in my devices. Fingers crossed in prayer. Right? Exactly. <laughs> now let's move on to some likes here. What did I like about the Hubitat? Let's start off with the flagship feature, the localized aspect of it. I love this. I think that it is very, very, very much what they say. It runs local and you see this for a few different ways. The first being that it's very responsive. I push that button and bam. I see the device turn on, or if it's a switch, you know, I, I in another room, I hear it turn on. It's very quick. It's by far the, the fastest response out of any of the hubs that I've tried over the years of being in smart home tech. Uh, so that's definitely a nice feature. You're not sitting there waiting around like I was with the Wink hub, especially towards the end. Uh, but it, it was very, very fast to respond as well. Never had an outage because it's locally on there. I've never, through my few months of testing it here, run into an issue where the service isn't working or there's a big lag, but that's all because of the fact that it is running locals. I think that's a big pro too. It's a huge pro, absolutely. And that's their selling point. And that's why I want to address it first in my pro section here because a lot of people have started to get burned by some of this as some of these cloud infrastructures get taxed more, more people get into it. It's something that I think you see the servers having trouble sometimes. And so when it's local and it's just you talking to one device only controlling your stuff, who cares about the rest of the world because you're just talking to your own device? It definitely seems to work as it's built to work. Or what happens if your internet goes out? Exactly. Another thing that I want to mention here is the fact that the Hubitat has that web, web admin. While I mentioned that if you want to do a mobile, it's a downside for someone like myself who likes web admins. I love desktop. I prefer to do things desktop. I think it's fantastic. There's a lot of really good information having this easy to access web admin panel that I can see all sorts of information in there. It's a pretty intuitive layout as far as trying to find the different categories within that admin panel, such as a section for the device settings or the actual Hubitat settings, or the apps that you can link to the Hubitat. All of those there, it's pretty intuitive. 
And a big advantage that the Hubitat web admin has is the fact that you can actually view what's called the dashboard. When you pull up the app, the app is essentially accessing what's called a dashboard, a set of icons that you configure. And I'll talk about that in a second. You can actually pull up that dashboard right from the web admin. So although you can go into the little nooks and crannies where you can see the individual device IDs and all of these things in there, and you can toggle it manually, if you've gone and you laid out your phone a certain way, you can see that dashboard right within the web admin, which is helpful if you want to control your devices from a computer. Uh, I've wanted to do that for a long time, and I, I love having this access. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. The web admin is also a gateway to other things that I, I really like as a techie guy. Lots of techie information in there, like device IDs for your Zigbee and your Z-Wave devices. A lot of different information that is buried in there. And on sort of a surface level, one of the most underrated features, in my opinion, is the size of it. It literally fits in the palm of my hand. The Hubitat is that small. Chris, confirm this for the audio listener. Well, I mean, I don't know how big your hands are. I've never met you in person. <laughs> Fair enough. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have ginormous hands. Uh, I mean, I do. Uh, well, I'm supposed to have ginormous <laughs> He's hands. He's a right? giant. So, <laughs> so I, I, I have moderate-sized hands, and it literally fits in my hand. And there's lots of other hubs out there which are much, much larger. So trying to find a spot for these hubs can be tough, especially if you don't have a garage you can shove them in or you need to have them in your living room. And to be able to have a hub the size of your hand that you can just tuck away. I, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. The last thing that I want to mention in my pros is the fact that there is a ton of flexibility with this. This is another big thing that Hubitat builds themselves on. There is a lot of different ways that you can program this. For example, the rules, if you've ever had a hub, a lot of times you want to set a rule. If one thing happens, another thing happens. The rules are very, very programmable where you can stack different commands. So a lot of the other hubs out there, it's like, okay, if one thing happens, do another, and you're stuck at that. With this, you can actually stack individual rules to help really make unique cases and really push that flexibility as, as much as you want. Now, getting to the cons, what don't, don't I like about the Hubitat? Well, let's start off with that biggest overarching con is the fact that it really, really isn't meant for somebody that isn't techie. There is a lot of individual customization that needs to be done in this. It's not very user-friendly for someone that isn't a techie individual. You're better off going with one of the mainstream options, in my opinion, just because of the fact that it's not a step-by-step -step wizard along the way. You definitely have to have some level of techiness to use this. Even that dashboard that I mentioned isn't right out of the box. When I installed the app, I looked at it and I'm like, there's nothing here. Where's my devices? I literally had to go in and set up the dashboard from scratch. How big did I want my icon size? How big do, what colors do I want? What do I want the name? What sort of icon do I want? Like there's a lot of customization that I was able to do in there, which is good. But if I want to just make it work, it's not that, that straightforward within the app. Yes, there is a button that you can now push in order to make it auto-populate icons, but honestly, it's not that pretty when it does that, and you, so you're still kind of customizing it. Uh, as well, the rules that I mentioned, not very easy to use as well. Uh, there's a lot of things that 
you kind of have to really wrap your mind around as you go through. And I'll actually mention that in, in a minute. Now, another downside that I think is worth mentioning for this habitat is the fact that there is a slight lag compared to the actual desktop version. The desktop version, you log into the web admin, boom, you're up, everything's there. When I'm launching the app on my Pixel 2, it takes a second for that to load. Once it loads, it's super fast, super responsive, pushing a button, you hear it go, it's exactly like I described, but that initial load of that app does take a little bit. Now, I have a theory on that. I have a theory that's because it's pulling that dashboard locally, because like I said, you customize that and that's stored on the hub. So maybe that's where the lag is. But for someone who is trying to open it up and just quickly push a command, you can't really do that. You have to wait for it to load before you push that command. Another con that I think is definitely worth, worth mentioning is for the video viewer you saw when I held it up, you can see there's a network jack on the back. Well, if you want Wi-Fi, you're out of luck because it is wired only. So it is a wired only device, which might be one of the reasons they can keep it small. Probably not because we know Wi-Fi radios can be pretty small, but maybe. So there is definitely uh, a consideration there if that is something that you really need that wireless compatibility or dependability as far as getting your hub to talk to your network. For me, I'm big on putting things wired, but I completely recognize that that's not possible for everybody. And so I think it's worth knowing that there is no Wi-Fi on there. And then the last thing that I want to mention, which is really frustrating to me as someone who has been looking at different hubs, is there's still no real user sharing with the Hubitat. I want to be able to go and have someone create an account and say, I want to only share X amount of devices with you. That's not possible. There's no user sharing right now on the Hubitat. So it's worth considering the fact that that does not exist. There is a way to sort of share some devices, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Now, what are some other notes that I've got that aren't really pros, aren't really cons, just some general considerations? Number one, I mentioned that the dashboards are customizable, but what's cool is you can actually have multiple dashboards on there. Now, for me, I might actually have a use for that, but for the average person, they might only want one dashboard. So that's why I didn't really put it as a pros, because I don't think that it's really a selling feature, but it's something that somebody might use where you could have a variety of different layouts of these icons. Now, one of the things that is interesting about that and this is where I was saying you might be able to share that, is there's actually two different ways to access that dashboard. When you go and you set it up and you're in the web admin, you see two links. One link is to the local dashboard. So you click that and you see it opens up the IP address and takes you right to that dashboard. The second is a cloud link. Now that cloud link, while you can put a password on there, you've, you can actually give that to somebody. So they can actually just go. And if I wanted to, I could give you my my link to this cloud dashboard and you would actually already see have that. it you probably already have hacked it right so so yeah. you could yeah. possibly share that with somebody that way now that's not really great from an app perspective because it won't really tie into the app but you could you could do it that way so again i wanted to mention that another thing that i want to mention that i can't really say that i've i've ventured too much into but there is apparently a ton of flexibility with the habitat if you go to the Hubitat community, you will see there is a ton of creativity that people are posting about uh, ways that they're using this high flexibility of the Hubitat to do different things. The way that you can stack multiple 
uh, if statements, so to speak, and whatnot. I like to tinker. I haven't had a chance to really tinker too much with what could be done with this because, to be honest, we're just getting off a of summer and I got other things to do than sit in front of my computer trying all of these different things. But I'm looking forward to looking into this a little bit more because I think that there is a lot of potential having this flexibility mm -hmm. and, and this customization. And it's something that as we go into those winter months, I think that I might find myself going and really trying to stack some of these, uh, these commands and the programming. It actually, although, although it's not really user-friendly, it reminds me as someone who has done coding, a lot of different coding where you have if statements, you have else statements, you have else if statements. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of familiarity to, to someone like myself who has done coding and I'm sure if you saw an example of the Suncast, you'd feel right at home as well, because you look at the way that these sort of triggers work and it looks it looks just like coding, like, you know, PHP or anything like that. It's interesting. Hmm. I know you want you want to code, don't you, Suncast? I think this is a really cool product for a lot of the people out there that are smart home enthusiasts that like to tinker. Agreed. Like there's, de there's definitely a market out there for that. I want to call it a niche because I think it's a little bit larger than a niche. And the last thing that I want to mention here in the considerations is that there is a lot of really interesting people out there who have gone and thought of some ways that you can customize this and build applets to really sort of enhance the experience. And a few examples that I wanted to run through is number one, I've seen people use the dashboard that that app that shows all of the individual icons to actually live stream their camera feeds. So they take a, a camera feed and through one of the ways that you can customize one of the buttons, you can actually have it show their video. It has to That's be a certain cool. protocol, but it's kind of cool. You see people who have their smart controls there and then right there they can see their camera feed. And it's not like it's a it's a camera that's hooked up to the habitat. It's just pulling a network feed. Another thing that I thought was interesting that I saw somebody do just to give an example on how you can really stack these triggers is they made it so that their hub looks to see if their wife is home alone. And if she, <laughs> I, know, I know, it sounds creepy at first. They, they well, made, no, they, this took a turn. They may look to see if their wife is home alone. And if she goes into the shower, it's now an opportunity to laugh again. She goes into the shower. It locks all of the doors. I thought that was cool. So she goes into the bathroom where it's isolated, home alone. There's there's nobody else on the Wi-Fi. Goes and locks the doors. I thought that was a really really creative way and a, a, an example on how you can sort of stack these controls. And the other thing that I have not confirmed, but I want to go ahead and try. There are some people that talk about how you can share devices across multiple hubs. They program some in there so that if you have multiple habitats or there's multiple people that have them. You can share devices across them. And someone even references in the diagram the ability to do that with smart things. So I want to look into this further. I have a whole Trello card of things that I want to really look into cool. as we go into the winter months and really just experiment. But there, yeah, the Hubitat community, these are just a few things that I just kind of pulled out at random as examples on how this is meant to be flexible. Overall, I think it's a great deal for the price and has a ton of flexibility. The flexibility really, really is miles ahead of many other hubs in this price range. It packs one heck of a punch, but it is worth noting you really have to be techie. It is something that if you're not a techie individual, I think you'll you will not like this hub at all. 
I think you would get very frustrated. You probably wouldn't use it. I think if you're willing to be techie or you're somebody that's willing to tinker a little bit more, it might be the way to go. Personally, I have not moved all of my stuff over yet because I haven't had a chance to tinker. I haven't had a chance to go in and really experiment more with this. But based off of what I've seen with it over the last few months, I could see myself switching over to this fully. I have to really experiment with a few other things as well, of course, as a consideration. Can I get the uh, the dashboards to a level that my wife feels comfortable enough using it because she's not techie like me? So that's obviously a consideration that I have as well. But I could see myself switching over. If you're someone like that, I think it's worth definitely giving it a try. They do come on sale. Uh, I've seen them come on sale a couple of times. And again, I love the form factor. I love the fact that it's it's so, so tiny and it's easy to tuck away. And the range has been good on it. So that's my review on the Habitat Elevation. Uh, Chris, I could see you doing this if you had more time to tinker. But it's something that uh, I also recognize that you haven't moved over yet from smart things because you haven't had time. So I don't know that it's for you. Right you are, Stephen. I haven't had the chance yet to uh, to mess around with even moving over to my smart things hub. I'm intrigued by it. I've seen a lot of things in the Wink subreddit where anytime something goes wrong, people start becoming evangelists for Hubitat. So I'm aware of the product. I just haven't had a chance to look into it yet because honestly, here's where I'm at. I get annoyed when it doesn't work. And I'm like, I should really take the time and go mess with you that should. smart things hub I have and transition stuff. But then I'm like, God, that's a lot of devices to do. And I just want to watch TV right now. <laughs> Suncast, you mentioned earlier uh, that you think that there's probably some people more than a niche, you said. Uh, what else do you have to say about this? Well, just just my from my little bit knowledge of Smart Things Hub and, and just a community that Smart Things has, I, I strongly believe that there's definitely a market out there for all this smart home stuff. And being able to have something as flexible as a Hubitat. Take into consideration uh, stuff like Ift and Zapier and how popular those services are for connecting a whole bunch of different things and being able to set it up in any number of combinations. And I think Hubitat is kind of like the Ift of smart home hubs. It's definitely something that I'm looking forward to now that summer is over is really looking at customizing this more. Uh, I know there's other options out there if you really want to get super nerdy, like there's Home Assistant. Uh, I think it's Ryan from the Dad.io podcast. I think he's running that, if I recall correctly. And I I think that there are other nerdy options out there as well. But I've already got a hub, Hubitat, and I'm curious because then I don't have to run something on another piece of device. I've, I've got a dedicated piece of hardware for it. So I'm looking forward to uh, really trying that flexibility and reporting back here on the Gonna Geek Show. If you have any questions about it, let me know. I'd be happy to answer them. But that's going to take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, Suncast, thank you very much for coming on here. I greatly appreciate you doing that as well for reminding me throughout many, many times, both during the show, before the show, and during our different edit points that the final version doesn't see to enunciate. I very much appreciate that. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to creep you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Suncast. That's spelled S-U-N-K-A-S-T. And also over on the GFQ network, 
Uh, I produce a lot of shows over there. We've got What the Tech, which is our tech show with Paul Throt. Uh, if you like wrestling, that's really big right now. We've got Matt Men, which covers a lot of the WWE, uh, NJPW, AEW, all that sort of stuff. You can go check that out at gfqnetwork.com. And you should also, by the way, the, one of the people who are behind GFQ Network is a guy named Andrew Zarian. Andrew Zarian, A-N-D-R-E-W. You wait on that. Z-A-R-I-A-N. You can find him on Twitter at Andrew Zarian, A-N-D-R-E-W-Z-A-R-I-A-N. In my opinion, Andrew is one of the lead. He is the lead, let's be honest, behind GFQ. You, you're the one that does all of all the technical stuff, but he's the guy that's the, the face. Suncast, he just called you a tech monkey. I know, I did. But yeah. he, you go, you'll go with <laughs> me in a second. Wrong. You'll go with, with me and say on this. <laughs> so Andrew is the one that puts up the money, right? Ish, uh, sometimes. Okay. He's the one that makes the financial decisions about GFQ. Yes. Okay. And he's also one of the two hosts of What the Tech, right? Yes. Don't you think What the Tech would really mm-hmm. benefit from you coming on to talk about the Alexa glasses? So he should buy you sure. those Alexa glasses for you to review on what the tech. So if, if anybody agrees with me, they can find find Andrew on Twitter, like I just mentioned. And you should definitely tweet Andrew at Andrew Zarian and tell him tell him that he should buy Suncast those glasses. I worry about him though. <laughs> Hashtag get Suncast glasses. You, you gotta worry about somebody that takes and eats potato, potatoes from a stranger on the subway. I saw that. That was strange. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, kudos to his adventurous spirit, I guess, is the term I'm looking for here. I, I don't know. If he gets suncast glasses, we'll make him potatoes. We'll give more friendly strangers to send him potatoes. <laughs> Chris, do you have anything that you want to plug or promote? I would just like to thank Stephen Jonger for the great language lessons he gave me. I am now enunciating fully and properly <laughs> and not slurring my words or sounding like I'm eating snacks or planning my next meal while I am podcasting. So thank you, Stephen Jonger, for my language lessons that allow me to enunciate like a proper human being. I'm working on making sure that I don't get monotone a lot because sometimes I just can't contain it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get hate mail. <laughs> Send your hate mail to JS at gunnageek.com. You got to also watch out not to over enunciate. Oh, come on now. Now we're just being picky. <laughs> I, you try and make me enunciate and not be a mush mouth. And now you're like, don't over enunciate it, Chris. We don't want to understand too well what you are saying. <laughs> oh, there are so many inside jokes on this. It's not even funny. Not even I'm funny. Casting, I'm throwing some serious shade. Send your hate mail to at the Chris Farrell on Twitter. I'll take your hate mail. I don't care because you know what I'm going to tell you to do with it? I don't know how this machine works. It's not working. (laughs) It's not working. I think it's broken. On that note, for another episode of the OfficialGuineaGeek.com show, episode 305, I'm Stephen John Drew saying we might be away next week, but we are still more consistent than the Orville. I'm Suncast, and I have an echo loop. Oh, wait. Does this mean I'm married to Alexa now? I'm Chris Farrell, and I seem to have broken my hand device here. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) 
checking out another episode of the official gunageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.